welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. And this message is called The Servant King, An Unexpected Gift. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you remember back in the, the dim, dark reaches of your past, there, whether there have been some years or some times when you have received a gift that was really unexpected, whether it was uh, something that you had really wanted but didn't think that you would get, or whether it was maybe something that was just unexpected. You just thought, like, the, the idea of that gift had never even occurred to you. When I was a kid, some of the things, I, I didn't always get the things that I'd hoped for. And uh, there was lots of kind of unexpected gifts. I wanted things, when I was a, I, I was a kid of the, the 80s, so when I was a kid, Christmas time was like, I was really like crossing my fingers and hoping for things like a Game Boy. Um, some of you might remember those, maybe some of you had one of those, so I could play Tetris or, you know, things like that, that was cool. I, I, I remember really wanting uh, Transformers, but not like the, the cheap kinds, like the really, like the big expensive ones that take you like three weeks to figure out how to like, how to transform it and change it from the thing into the other thing, because the sequence of steps was like so complicated, you had to like figure it all out. I remember really wanting a skateboard and uh, I, I, I remember getting a skateboard for one of my Christmas gifts but it was unexpected because it was not the right kind. <laughs> I wanted like, skateboards changed a little bit like as they evolved, like in the 70s what was kind of popular and common was like these uh, yellow acrylic banana boards, I don't know if any of you remember those but in the 80s it was the big fat black decks. And obviously, it was the 80s, and all the cool kids... I hadn't, never mind the fact that I had no idea how to actually skateboard. Um, I was pretty useless at it, to be honest. But I wanted a skateboard, because that's what all the cool kids had. And I wanted the black, fat, 80s kind of deck. And what did I get? The banana board. The banana board. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it was kind of like... It's, it's one of those moments when you try to... You know, it's, it's like it's not what you expected... And it's a little bit disappointing, but you try to be gracious because mum and dad kind of tried, but they've got no idea. Uh, anybody have experiences like that? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we get the things that we ask for, don't we? Why don't you just take a second, turn to the person next to you and tell them something that you remember really wanting for Christmas. And if it's your spouse that's sitting next to you, it might be something that you remember from last week really wanting for Christmas. So it's not too late to drop some hints. Sometimes unexpected gifts are a good thing, aren't they? Sometimes they're just, you know, like Kathy's um, son turning up on the doorstep or someone gifting you a musical instrument that you, um, that you needed or whatever. Sometimes unexpected gifts are, are not so great. Sometimes unexpected gifts are a little disappointing. I don't know if you've ever opened up a Christmas gift and found um, uh, a, a toiletry kit. You know, you blokes... You know, how many of you had toiletries kits on your on your shopping list for Christmas? <laughs> what about socks and jocks? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes the the unexpected gifts, the things that we didn't expect, 
um, you know, those, those clothes or, you know, some of you like getting clothes as gifts. I think when you're a kid, you don't want to get clothes for Christmas, usually, as a, as a young... I never did anyway, maybe, maybe I'm the exception, I don't know. Anyone, anyone get shoes or clothes as gifts and it was kind of a little bit like, yeah, that's not really what I wanted, that's... yeah, all right. And I think sometimes if, if we could go back to that first Christmas... There might be a little bit of a sense of that this is not what we're expecting and it's kind of almost a little bit underwhelming. You know, it's that uh, you've been, like that gift, you know, when you've been dropping hints about really wanting something and it's been months and months and, you know, you've been leaving little notes or, you know, leaving catalogues open to a certain page for your, your husband or your wife to notice and, you know, or talking about, oh, I, you know, I really need that new such and such or... You know, I've almost run out of my, my favourite perfume, you know, like a few weeks before Christmas. Yeah, and, and when we open it up and it's not what we were hoping for, there's that, that little bit of disappointment. And the birth of Jesus is one of those moments in history, it's one of the most significant, life-altering, world-changing moments in history that essentially at the time went almost unnoticed, didn't it? There were so many people that missed it because it wasn't what was expected. And a lot of that came because of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. John describes the, 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 the birth of Jesus, or I guess describe, he begins his gospel with these words. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And John goes on to say that this word became human and made his home among us. He talks about this, this word, this, this Jesus, this baby that was born into humble circumstances as being the, the light and the life of everything in the universe, the one through whom uh, everything in creation came to be. And yet, how many people were there to witness the event? How many people were there to witness the birth of Jesus, the word the light of all creation, who would be the servant king. There wasn't a great deal of people there that night, was there? Mary, Joseph, a few shepherds, some farm animals. (laughs) That's about it, really. Jesus came to be this servant king. We expect the Christmas story to be comfortable and trouble-free, but God wanted to identify with us in our struggles. And I think this is part of the reason why this, this event of such significance went unnoticed was because God chose to arrive in uh, such humble circumstances. Now, I would have expected, and I think most of humankind, particularly at that stage, and if we were kind of going to go, God is going to send his son to the earth, you know, the God of all the universe, we would expect that God would be able to make arrangements for his son, wouldn't you? And we see this, this intentional 
humble beginning. It's not like God couldn't have orchestrated things differently, is it? It's not like God couldn't have, you know, uh, made it so that that rich guy who had the presidential suite at the, the you know, the, the plaza just suddenly didn't turn up and his booking suddenly became free as Mary and Joseph were knocking on the door. You know, God could have orchestrated that. And so we see that, that this wasn't just some kind of accidental thing, this wasn't something that happened by chance, but this was God's plan. That God's plan was for uh, Christmas to begin so hum- that, that his, his son would be born into humble circumstances because he wanted to identify with us in our struggles. Sometimes we, even now, we sanitize that whole Christmas scene, don't we? Do you know what I mean? Like, you think about our nativity scenes, all right? We've got everybody looking wonderfully happy and peaceful. We've got Mary and Joseph with their halos there. We've got uh, little baby Jesus is asleep and uh, his mum and dad and there's the, the wise men and the shepherds and, you know, two sheep and a donkey and a camel are all gazing lovingly at, you know, little baby Jesus lying there in the manger while the, you know, the star shines down suitably ambient lighting and there's, you, know, you can imagine the soft music playing in the background. I would kind of think that the reality of that night might have been somewhat different. There might have been just a touch more... Str- I mean, uh, uh, let's just put aside for the fact that the wise men weren't there that night. Like, you know. Um, but but there's even, even, even so, I think that there would have been a whole lot more stress. You know, it would have been a whole lot more kind of like, how are we going to get through this kind of moments with Mary and Joseph in that thing? I, you know, it's like... Um, I, I think the reality was something quite different. But God chose this humble beginning because He wanted to identify with us. One of the things that we notice at Christmas time often is that there's an increase in our in our charitable giving. Christmas is a time of generosity. Christmas is a time of giving, and it's great. To, I, I think that's a wonderful thing. That is a great... Well, I think we should, as believers, we should live generously all year round, but it, it is good sometimes to just dig that little bit deeper and give a little bit extra, and sometimes Christmas helps us as, a, as, as a Australians uh, and as a nation to be more generous. But when we think about what are the things that we're more inclined to give to in terms of charities? Aren't they the things that the charities that we somehow have feel some sort of connection to a lot of the time, aren't we? Whether it's, um, you know, Bibles for people because we understand the value of Bibles and, and reading God's Word, or if it's, you know, those of us who've had brushes with cancer or have lost people that we love to cancer, we're more inclined to feel a connection to that and give to cancer research and, and those kind of charities or, 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 or those sorts of things. Uh, families are more inclined to uh, support uh, or sponsor a child because we, we think about kids and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. We feel that kind of connection and I think when we feel connected to somebody, when we feel like we can relate to somebody or understand what they're going through, it increases in us that ability to feel compassion and empathy for people who are going through those struggles as a general 
rule. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound fair? Now, I think that when we look at this story, I think there's an aspect of this in which God wanted to identify with us, not because he's incapable of feeling compassion and empathy without sharing common ground. After all, we know that God's word tells us that he loved us before the creation of the world. God loves us no matter what. His love is not based on being able to empathize, but I think that God wanted to share in our struggles because he wanted us to believe that he could understand what we're going through. Let me just illustrate this. Let me ask you this question. What is the most common criticism that you hear of government politicians when they make decisions about how much the age pension or unemployment benefits should be? That's right. Isn't it, isn't it like, like how, how do they know? They're so out of touch up in their ivory towers on their, you know, $500,000 a year or, you know, being flown around in helicopters and, you know, how could they possibly know what it's like to have to live on that? How many of us would like to see politicians live on $350 a week for a while? Yeah. <laughs> and, and don't we kind of... We, we, now... You know, admittedly, it's not always true that they're out of touch. Not always untrue that they're out of touch. Sometimes that's actually quite uh, a valid uh, argument. But one of the things that is, is difficult for us as ordinary people, sort of slaving away at our jobs, to understand or to believe that a politician or the prime minister can understand what it's like for someone who's living on an age pension or on unemployment benefits. We just we just don't think that they know what they're going on about, do we? how much more then would that apply to God who is holy? And don't you hear this sometimes from, from people who don't know God say, oh, it's not fair of God to put these kind of expectations on us to do the right thing all the time. It's not fair of God to expect us to be perfect. And, and if your view of God is that he's just up there in heaven and he's on his throne and he's all powerful and he's almighty and all glorious, how could that kind of God ever understand what it's like for us down here mucking about in the dirt, trying to make ends meet and struggle to survive and put food on the table for our families? God is so far above us, isn't he? First Corinthians, and the Bible confirms this. The Bible, you know, Isaiah says, your ways are so much higher than our ways and, you know, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even in First Corinthians, Paul writes and he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He is so far above us and I think, you know, how could that all-powerful God understand? Now, of course, our head says, well, you know, we know that God knows everything, but isn't there something in us that says, how could that God relate to us? But Jesus came. And in the person of Jesus, as he went through his life and struggled as one of us, we see a God who knows us. A God who knows the struggles that we go through. Hebrews Chapter 4 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus grew up in a family that wasn't particularly wealthy. In fact, probably by the standards of most of us here in Australia, we would say that they were fairly poor. His parents couldn't even afford a lamb to sacrifice when Jesus was born. They had to take that cheaper option of, of two, um, uh, two doves or pigeons. Jesus knew what it was like to have to work hard to make ends meet and probably provide for his family. Jesus knew what it was to suffer loss and to grieve. It's most likely that somewhere between the ages of 12 and 30, his stepfather Joseph died. Jesus knew betrayal. Jesus knew rejection. Jesus faced temptation. Jesus knew what it was to suffer physical pain, probably more than most of us ever will. He is a God who is able to identify with us and wanted us to know that he was a God who could identify with us and understand our struggles and the things that we go through. Secondly, we expect the Christmas story to be a royal extravaganza. But God wanted to set an example of humility for us to follow. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8 is a a familiar scripture for many of us. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, the King of the universe, the creator of all things, through the one through whom all life on earth was created, put himself into the hands of two human beings. There isn't really any, anything much that's more vulnerable than a newborn baby, is there? And Jesus chose to become vulnerable, chose to become a helpless baby and trusted himself into the lives of Mary and Joseph. Throughout his life, Jesus taught his disciples humility. He talks again, you read through the Gospels and again and again and again you see Jesus setting this example and and living and talking and teaching humility. He taught them to serve one another. This was the kind of, in, in many ways, this was an essential part of the foundation. He says, for anyone who would come after me, you've got to lay down your life. If you want to be a follower of Jesus... There's kind of this, this is one of the essential requirements is that you give up your rights to do things your way you, you, and you choose to live a life that is committed to serving Jesus and others. He taught his disciples in Matthew 20, he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
they take their authority and they use it you get power and it means you can tell people what to do and you can make people do things for you and you can say go here and come there and give me this and do that for me that that was what they knew And, and a lot of the time that's what we know isn't it a lot of the time that's our experience of leadership that's our experience of people in power isn't it they use their power they use their authority to accumulate more to have more luxury more comfort more control jesus says this is not what it's going to be like for you says among you it will be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many this is kingdom values in Matthew 23 he was teaching his disciples and he was looking at the Pharisees and the way that they would parade around and make themselves important and take on exactly this kind of power or leadership style of the world Matthew 23 says everything the Pharisees do is for show on their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels saying look how righteous and holy I am (laughs) and they love to sit at the head table at banquets banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Hello, rabbi. It goes on in verse 11. It says, The greatest among you must be a servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we could go on and there is example after example of, of Jesus telling parables and stories and, uh, and illustrations of what it means to live by kingdom values and not by worldly values. But Jesus himself lived out the ultimate example of this. In John 13 we read that he took on this duty as he was nearing the end of his ministry, as he was approaching the cross He set this example, he set the tone for his disciples by taking on the duty at this last supper of the lowest slave. This would be the duty of the lowest slave because it was a fairly unpleasant task in those days. Obviously it was an important one because nobody wants to eat a meal when people stink like what comes out of the back end of a donkey. It's It's not very appetizing, is it? And so this was an important task to kind of this cleaning up and preparing for a meal and preparing for Passover. But it wasn't a particularly pleasant duty and it was often assigned to one of the kind of the the lower ranked slaves. But Jesus took up this, he says he wrapped the towel around him, he took the water and he washed the feet of his disciples. And I would imagine that there were moments as he was doing that when you could have probably heard a pin drop in that room. 
It would have taken a little while to get around to all 12 of them. It would have been this sense of, you know, and we, we know Peter's reaction and um, Peter's like, no, you know, he, he had this really strong reaction, didn't he? He said, no, like Jesus, you can't humble yourself in this way. You can't put yourself in that position of a, of a low slave. I, I won't let you. What did Jesus say? He said, if you don't let me do this, then, then I, you've got no part of me. Jesus is setting an example for his disciples and he's making it clear and he's saying, you know, this is what I'm all about, about giving your life for others. And again and again, as we, it's not just about washing feet, but it's about this humility. It's, it's this willingness to serve. It's this willingness to lay down my pride and lay down my ambition and to lay down my goals and lay down my, my grasping to get more and to be more and to rise the ranks and, and, and to just kind of be willing to serve and trust God to determine your station in life. Again and again through the Gospels we read this calling, this urging of Jesus for his followers to live differently from those around trying to fight the way to the top. And it seems like that they really took that on. It became this distinguishing characteristic of the early church. It was kind of what they were known for, but we know ourselves that it is a constant battle, isn't it? It is a constant struggle to put to death our selfish desires, to put down pride in us, to put down our, our, our desire to want to, to, to fight for our rights, to fight for everything that we feel like we want or need or deserve. Paul declared um, that, that he was, he, he's like, I, I, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll become whatever I need to become. I'll do whatever I need to do. Um, if, if it means that I might have an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And Paul, who uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament in so many places through the New Testament, he would write and he would teach and he would urge believers telling them to be diligent and putting to death that pride that threatens to rise up in each one of us. He says, never think you're above someone who needs help. Don't think too highly of yourself, he says in Romans 12. He says, carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6, he says, give to those in need cheerfully and generously in 2 Corinthians 9. Ephesians 5, he says, submit to one another and on and on and on. There's this, this is a, a, a crucial aspect of what it means to be a Jesus follower. You cannot be an authentic Jesus follower and be self-serving. You cannot be an authentic Jesus follower and be full of selfish ambition or pride or greed. And so we come to this Christmas story. And sometimes we think, well, you know, why is it so, don't we celebrate Jesus every week? Why, do, why is it important for us to, to be reminded of this Christmas story? And in so many ways, this story is one that reminds us, firstly, that our God knows us. That our God knows what it's like 
to have to work hard to make ends meet. Our God knows what it's like to struggle with temptation and sin. Our God knows what it's like to be betrayed and hurt and abandoned and rejected by people. Our God knows what it is to suffer pain. He wants you to know that He understands. He wants you to believe that He identifies with you in your struggle. But He knows and understands our struggle to get ahead in life too. And He calls us to live with kingdom values and not human values. Ultimately, this picture of Jesus' birth is one that says... That it's not about power, it's not about earthly kingdoms. This is what Herod didn't get. This is what Herod didn't understand. When he heard that there was a king being born, he didn't understand that this was a servant king, not an earthly king. He didn't understand that this this was a king who ruled with uh, in a spiritual realm and with kingdom values where the first is last and the last is first. Jesus calls us to remember the humility of his birth and to follow after him. To be imitators of the way that Jesus himself came into the earth and the way that he lived his life. He calls us to live with a humility that thinks of others, that looks for opportunities to do good. It's not about being poor or being rich. It's about what question are we asking? Do we live generously? Do we ask ourselves this Christmas, not what can I get, but what can I give? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture that we have recorded in the Gospels of your birth. Lord, we thank you that you came to identify with us, but also to set a pattern for us to follow, a pattern of what it means to live uh, with kingdom values, a pattern of what it means to, uh, to, to, to help bring your kingdom to earth. And Lord, at times this can be really hard. Our, our natural self wants to rise up and, and look after ourselves and make sure that we've got what we need. But Father, you call us to follow in your footsteps, to live a life of of generosity, of trusting you to provide for our needs and not trusting ourselves. That you call us to ask that question, what can I give this Christmas? How can I help somebody? What do I have? Father, I pray that through these next few weeks that you would be speaking to our hearts, that you would be showing us maybe areas in our life where where pride has gained a foothold, where we've patted ourselves on the back, that we've relied on our own self-sufficiency just a little too much and stop trusting you for those things, stop giving you the glory, stop giving you the honour for those things in our life. 
Father, we thank you that you are a God who who understands the struggles, who understands the temptations and the challenges that we face each and every day. And Lord, not only do you understand them, but you show grace towards us in those moments when we fall down. That you stand alongside of us and you help us to get back up on our feet again and to continue on walking and following Jesus, our servant King. Father, we thank you that you were not what we expected, but what we so desperately needed. You were our Savior. You are our servant King. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.